Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Good to be with you here this morning, looking around the room. I know a whole bunch of you, but some of you I don't. Um, so just for a little bit of my context, um, I've been around in this church family for... I know you won't believe it, but like getting on 20 years. Um, and uh, I'm part of the core leadership team here. So um, we get the privilege of stewarding this, sh- steering this ship together. Um, and uh, today we're kicking off a new series called Resurrection Stories. I'm going to explain wh- why we're doing that. Um, so, you know, last weekend, anyone remember what Sunday it was last Sunday? Easter Sunday, right, that's it. Some audience participation going on over here, I like it. And the thing about Easter is, it's too good. It's too good just to have a one and done celebration of Easter, isn't it? Like Easter is the event that transforms this life for us. And um, I think in the traditional church calendar, they've kind of, they've got the grasp of this. So the next 40 or 50 days, depending on which or church you belong to, um, is called Eastertide. So um, all the way from here up to Pentecost, we are going to be remembering the stories of what happened when Jesus appeared to his first followers between his resurrection and his ascension. And um, I find this really helpful because it reminds me that these events happened in a real time and space. It happened on a particular day of the year, 2,000 years ago, in Israel. But it reminds me that this is the time of year, in that first year after the resurrection, that Jesus was appearing to people in really unique and crazy ways. I read this quote um, on Twitter, of all places, um, this week. It's a guy called Randall Worley, who's a speaker and author um, and has a bunch of Great wisdom. But he said this this week. He said, between the resurrection and Jesus' ascension, he will appear and disappear without warning in unexpected places to unsuspecting people. These surprise encounters serve to remind us that no matter how distant we feel from him or how bewildered we may be, he still believes in us. So this Eastertide, we are going to remember some of the ways that Jesus appeared to those who were in bewildering circumstances and if there's any bewilderment in your life I know there is in mine then I've got some good news for you Jesus believes in you and he wants to appear in your life so today we're going to talk about how Jesus met Mary Magdalene in her grief and confusion we're going to talk about how he met Cleopas and his fellow traveler on the road to Emmaus and their disappointment he met Thomas in his doubt He met the fishermen disciples in their day-to-day ordinary routine. They were just fishing. And he met Peter in his failure. If you're carrying grief, confusion, disappointment, doubt, or failure, or maybe you're just desperate for Jesus to interrupt your routine, your day-to-day, then these resurrection stories are for you. So I hope you will come with us as we explore these exciting um, stories So we're going to start today, John chapter 20. Um, We read some of this last week. Um, Well, in fact, we didn't read it. We heard David Suchet narrate this for us last week. Those of you who are in the room, 
when it gets to the moment, you know what to do. Um, just We shared this beautiful cartoon last week, and uh, there's a moment where Jesus meets Mary, and he says a name, and it sounds a bit like Darth Vader. Um, it's beautiful. So forgive me if I slip into Darth Vader at one point. Um, but here we go, John chapter 20. It's the empty tomb. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. She went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So we've got three characters here mentioned in these first couple of verses. We've got Mary Magdalene. Um, she's going to take center stage in our story today. Um, we don't know loads about her. Um, like a lot of characters in the Gospels, like she just sort of appears and disappears and there's a few details about her. She gets actually, though, a few more mentions than most of the disciples, apart from Peter and James and John. Um, she's the same person who we're told in Luke chapter 8 that she had seven demons driven out of her. Um, but she was also one of the women who supported Jesus' ministry out of their own resources. So providing for his ministry, which probably means she was a woman of wealth and of means. And despite some church tradition, uh, we're never told that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute or immoral in any other way. Like that's a later confusion that happens um, kind of in about the sixth century. You can look into that if you want. Um, but she's named in these three gospels as being present at Jesus's crucifixion. In three of the gospels as being present at Jesus's crucifixion. All four of the gospels tell us that she was the first person to discover that Jesus' tomb was empty. And then in both Matthew and in our story today in John, Jesus appears to Mary personally. So she's a big deal in this whole Easter story, in this whole resurrection story. Her story is really important. Um, and she's headed to the tomb to finish the process of preparing Jesus' body for burial. Because as we know, he died on the cross on the Friday, and then there was a big rush to get his body um, off the cross, get it ready, get it buried, because the Saturday was the day of Sabbath when that kind of work wasn't allowed. Everything had to stop for the Sabbath. So they got some of the process of preparing his body done, but it wasn't quite finished. They got him in the tomb. So Mary's headed there early, before it's even light. You know, she's so completely devoted to Jesus that she takes the very first opportunity to go and take care of his body. And she must have been utterly heartbroken at the events of the last few days. This man who she's been following for maybe up to three years, she's followed him from the, from the region of Galilee in the north of Israel all the way down to Jerusalem. All this stuff's happened in the week. You know, she's been there when he's ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, when he's driven um, the... Uh, merchants out of the temple she's been there when he's had all these like face-offs with the um, religious leaders of the day she's been probably was there in the upper room with the disciples at the last supper remembering that communion that we took earlier and then she's there when she sees Jesus die on the cross but something's different this morning because the stone is rolled away you know, this is the first signpost that something is different. Something incredible has happened. But rather than just hanging about to see what happens, she goes and gets some help. So she goes and gets Peter and the other disciple. 
We'll read from verse 3. So if you've read any of the Gospels, you've probably come across Peter. He starts out called Simon. Jesus gives him a new name. That's a fun story for another day. And whenever in the book of John it talks about the other disciple, sometimes it says the disciple that Jesus loved. It's probably talking about um, this guy John who wrote the gospel. For some reason, he wasn't too keen to tell us his name, but he does have a little flex um, in verse 4 here, which we'll enjoy together. So it says, at that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first because he's really fast and athletic and just an all-round great guy. I think that's in the footnote somewhere. Anyway, enjoy that flex. Um, Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. You see, these guys go a couple of steps further than Mary did. Mary saw the stone and then was rolled away. So then she's like, I need to go and tell somebody what's happened. John gets there next. He has a look through. And then Peter arrives. He goes even a step further. He goes in to the tomb. And that encourages John to go and have a look as well. It says in verse 8, they saw and believed. But their understanding had a way to go to catch up. See, verse 9 tells us that it was only with hindsight that they knew what was happening. You know, it was only with Jesus' help that they began to understand later on that the Hebrew scriptures were pointing to the fact that Jesus would need to die and be resurrected, that he would come back to life. You know, as we'll find out on the Emmaus Road next week, understanding what we call now the Old Testament is only possible with Jesus' help. You know, there's no secret code, there's no counting letters that will point you to the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's just Jesus himself opening your eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only then that we get to read and understand, as the Bible Project puts it, the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. But these guys weren't there yet. They didn't have that understanding. And for whatever reason, they just go back to wherever it is that they were hanging out. So they leave Mary alone outside the tomb once more. And in verse 11, this section is called Mary Magdalene sees the risen Lord. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. So then Mary looks into the tomb again. And this time she sees these two angels dressed in white. Now this is a huge clue that something different has happened. Because if the angels were there to mourn the death of Jesus, they would not be dressed in white. They'd be dressed in black. Black is the color of mourning. But white is the color that says you don't have to mourn 
anymore. And I wonder if Mary in this moment, her tears are more than just the tears of someone who's mourning the loss of Jesus, the loss of a friend, of a teacher, of the great hope that she had. Because since she's shown up in the garden this morning, things just seem to have gone from bad to worse, don't they? Like, first Jesus was dead, and now his body's gone, and she was just trying to do the right thing, right? She was just trying to make sure that his body was prepared for burial, and the right rituals were done, and the right spices were put on, and he was wrapped up the right way. She was just trying to do the right thing, but somehow everything's got worse. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. And then in verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? And supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, it struck me as I was reading this that the conversation with the angels hasn't actually made much impact on Mary. You know, she essentially has the same conversation with Jesus that she's just had with the angels again. But he asks the same question Why are you crying? He says, Who is it that you're seeking? And I think it's really interesting that Mary confuses him for a gardener here. Firstly, and because gardeners were pretty low down on the social scale in first century Palestine. Um, you know, they weren't kind of high-ranking officials. You couldn't earn a good salary as a gardener. Um, landscape gardening was, was not a thing. You know, you wouldn't have had your logo on the side of a Ford Transit van. Um, but Jesus doesn't have a problem with being confused for someone who's way down the social scale. He doesn't have a problem being assumed to be of low rank or little importance. You know, and that's entirely consistent with Jesus' life and ministry. You know, Jesus doesn't mind being counted among the lowly. You know, when the first Christians went to write about Jesus, they wrote things like Philippians 2, which is all about his humility all about the fact that he didn't mind being stripped of everything that made him God, but would happily become a person, become a human, and die on a cross, a death he didn't deserve. The king of the universe doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. And there's another sense that Jesus as God has always been the gardener. You know, in the creation narrative of Genesis 2, God plants a garden for humankind to live in. And this picture of the garden shows up all the way through the Hebrew scriptures as the ideal dwelling place for humankind and God to be together. Right up to the picture of this glorious garden city at the end of Revelation that points to the future hope that we have as Christians that one day God will make all things new. That will be resurrected to live with him forever in this new world all made possible because of his death and resurrection all those years ago. So it makes perfect sense to me that Jesus is very happy to be confused for a gardener. 
you know, maybe that mistaken identity isn't really so mistaken after all. And for whatever reason, it's not immediately obvious to Mary that this is Jesus. You know, it could just be that she's crying, that she's not hidden properly, that she's distressed. There's all this stuff going on. But this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme in these resurrection stories, that when Jesus arrives, when he shows up, there's something a little bit different about him. For whatever reason, each time he appears, people don't put it together straight away. There's something different, there's something mysterious, in particular here with Mary, you know, and on the Emmaus Road to his disciples on Lake Galilee. They don't recognize him straight away. And something about this resurrected Jesus is different, and it's only when he chooses to reveal himself in particular ways that it becomes clear who he is. And for Mary, it's this moment when he says her name. It's then that she realizes who he is. It's because it's personal. It's because it's meaningful to her. It's her name. And she responds with this word, Rabboni, which means teacher. Um, it's related to the word rabbi, which you might have heard. And there's probably a more personal and yet also more reverential edge to it here. He's not just a teacher, but he's my teacher. Because she has this deep personal relationship with him that she's developed over these years. And, and so much so that as we read on in the next verse, we realize that she's probably just flung herself around him and hugged him with all her might. Because in verse 17, Jesus says, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then she told him what he had told them what he had said to her. Don't cling to me, he says. Because there's a time to be with Jesus and there's a time to be sent by him. You know, there's also a sense here that John is reminding us that when Jesus was resurrected, he had a physical resurrection. He had a body that Mary could hug, that she could hold on to. Like it wasn't that Jesus was just some sort of floaty spirit. Even though he could appear and disappear, it seems at will, he had a real physical body. You know, if Jesus didn't have a body, there wouldn't have been anything to cling on to. And it's important because that Jesus' body was resurrected and not just his spirit tells us that God doesn't just think that our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, but he thinks they're worth preserving for the age to come. He thinks they're worth looking after for eternity. And God cares about your body because he intends to resurrect it, to bring it back to life. Just like Jesus, his body was brought back to life. That's why the grave clothes had to be taken off and folded. Because it was Jesus' body as well as just his spirit that was resurrected. And um, obviously this is not the context in which we live. And it is not the context of this church. But in the first century Israel, 
If you wanted to have a compelling argument about Jesus rising from the dead, you would not choose women to tell that story. Because in that culture and context, um, women's testimony was not as valuable as men's testimony. That is ridiculous. Let me just say that. But if you were going to create a compelling narrative, you would choose men to be the witnesses of your story in that time and in that culture. Because women's uh, testimony did not count for as much. But Jesus says to Mary, you need to go and tell what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you've heard. Because God operates differently. He sees everyone as valuable. He doesn't operate in the same way that the world does. And Mary becomes this apostle to the apostles, the one who first brought the good news of the risen Jesus to his disciples. You know, and you could argue that without Mary, without this woman sharing her story, none of the rest of what then transpires in the Gospels and the book of Acts would have happened. You know, for me, there's many, many reasons in the biblical text that tell us why it is vital. We need women speakers, teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles. And this is one of them. And I know there's lots of difficult passages that need to be brought together into this conversation. But when I look at who and how Jesus empowered the people that he wanted as his messages, messengers, it's pretty cut and dry to me. And if you spend time here with us at Vine Life, that's what you'd experience, hopefully. Not just a practice that we, uh, not just a value that we have, but a practice that we uh, adopt as well. So Mary is sent by Jesus. She's sent by him. When we meet Jesus, we not only become like him, but we're, we're sent out by him. You know, what, what Mary encountered in Jesus wasn't just for her to keep to herself. Jesus' words were, don't cling to me and go and tell. <laughs> you know, if we're just pursuing Jesus for our own personal satisfaction and fulfillment, we're going to miss something. It's always Jesus' intention that we go and tell. And this story tells me that there's three kind of key things for me that jump out. There's three things that mark out this life that Mary is now choosing to live, this life of faith with Jesus. And between Mary and the disciples, there's these three things. The first thing that happens is they see the evidence. They see this empty tomb. Um, they see that Jesus is not there anymore. They see the evidence that God is active, that God is on the move in their life. Um, the next thing that happens is that they understand the scripture. Well, they don't understand the scripture just yet. These are going to come up on the screen, by the way. They understand the scripture. And these two things, seeing that God is doing something and understanding the scripture, these are two really important things for us as Christians. We need to be around and see what God is doing. We need to be around and hearing the stories of where he's moving, where he's active, of what he's done in others' lives, of the difference and transformation that he's bringing to places. And we need to understand from scripture 
what his big plan is, what his purpose is. We need to understand what the Bible is saying to us. But there's this third thing that activates and makes this all real for us. And that is meeting the risen Jesus. Knowing what God's doing and understanding the Bible are really important. But without a personal revelation of Jesus to each of us, we're going to run out of steam. And those two are the really important guides and guardrails for us to help us know um, what is appropriate, what's in and what's out sometimes. And, and being around a community of people to help us do that is really important. And understanding who God has revealed himself to be in the Bible is really important. But for me, the thing that changes everything for Mary in this moment is hearing him say her name. The thing that changed it for Mary wasn't seeing that the tomb was empty. It was when she held on to Jesus for herself. That was the activating event. That was the catalyst for her to go and tell her story, to speak about what God had done. I don't know about you, but I am up for hearing the voice of Jesus say my name. I'm up for hearing the voice of Jesus call my name. You know, it's not a reality I've experienced all the time. But I've known moments where I feel like he's close. And those moments are times when you just want to tell people how good he really is. I feel like that's how we know when we've met with Jesus, when we can't keep it to ourselves. And I don't want to live just moment to moment, hoping for an experience of Jesus. Like I want to live faithfully. I want to live obediently. But if we don't ever get close to him, we're just going to run on fumes. There's going to be nothing in the tank. We can have all the best biblical understanding that we could possibly ever need. And studying the Bible is a beautiful thing and you should do it and it'll make your life richer. We can hear all the stories. We can see all the evidence. We can see the transformation in our friends' lives. We can see the miracles. We can see the healings. We can see the breakthrough. And that's beautiful. But without hearing Jesus say our name, without knowing that he is with us, we can feel just like we're at someone else's party all the time. There's a difference between telling a story about a stone that's rolled away and being able to explain why it had to happen that way and being able to say that you've spoken with and hugged the risen Jesus. There's an authenticity to be found when you haven't just seen the signposts and heard the stories, but you've found the one that those signposts point to. You know, Mary was in deep pain and confusion, in grief, but she operated in obedience and reverence for Jesus. There was something about the way that she positioned herself by saying, I'm going to serve this guy no matter what, that uniquely prepared her heart to meet with him. You know, she'd made serving Jesus a priority, even in his death. You know, the first chance she had before it was light, she went to that grave. 
And I think there was something about the way that she had positioned herself there that meant she could encounter Jesus, that Jesus was like, I can't stay away from this one who's come to find me. I can't stay away from this one who's come to serve me, who's come to love me practically. And so maybe you feel like, yeah, do you know what? I've, I've seen the evidence. I've, I've seen God move. I've seen God do things. Maybe I could even tell you, you know, why the Bible says this is all such a great idea. But maybe today you can make a space for Jesus to come and say your name. And, you know, he won't be coerced. He won't have his arm twisted. But there's something about devotion to him and commitment to him that he can't stay away from. You know, it's when Jesus is with us that we can navigate almost anything in life. You know, Paul talks in um, Philippians about just being satisfied with whatever he's got because he's got Jesus. You know, one of my friends, Phil, this morning was talking about our Christian life can be like we get on this bus and it just meanders and it goes. We think we're going to this one destination, but it takes all the back roads. You know, you ever got on that bus or that train? You're like, no, I just want to get to the end point. Thanks. But it takes us on all these meanders. And just struck me that, you know, when we're on the bus, if we're on the bus with Jesus, the journey's not so long. It matters less where we go or how long it takes to get there. But it's about who we're with. And maybe you're feeling like you're on the bus this morning. You even know where you're going. You could explain the route in your sleep. But it's lonely. Maybe Jesus wants to come and say your name today. So I want to pray for you, if that's all right. And then Lucy's going to come. And we've had a, a few other ways that God's been speaking to us this morning as well. And we're going to share those in a moment too. But why don't you just, whatever it looks like for you to relax in God's presence. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to put your hands out in front of you. I just want to pray for you this morning. Jesus, we want to meet you. We want to hear you say our names. Jesus, I thank you that you know each of us personally, deeply, And you love us through and through. And just like you turned to Mary in that garden. Just like you cut through all the grief. All the sadness, all the confusion. And spoke her name. Would we hear you speak our name today? Jesus, we invite you to come and make yourself known to us. In this moment and in the moments to come. Amen.
Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless. See you soon.